0: Belly and up to the nine foot homemade oak bar, pour yourself a cold one. Ed's down here. I'm here as well. My name is Chris. This is four fans, by fans, and thirty minutes of socks that is known as Socks in the Basement. Brought to you proudly by FamilyWaterproofing.com, Boeing Walls, Crawl Space Encapsulation. If you have concrete raising, just raising in front of your house. You got foundation crack repairs, you got you got water coming in, you got seepage, you got drainage issues, anything you're dealing with, the sump pump. You just need somebody to check it. Will they handle leakage? Leakage, oh, Ed. Yes. They handle all kinds of things. Check out everything that they do. It's absolutely incredible at familydry.com. Give them a call 24 hours a day, 708-330-4466, and mention socks in the basement, and you get money off. Uh, my friend, I was looking at at like the best shows that we've we've ever done. I'm a stat head. When it comes to baseball, sometimes I just become a stat head when I look at our little show. And I was inspired to do this because I'll let everybody in on a little secret. Over the last year, we've been approached by not one, but three different sports networks, podcast networks trying to bring us into the fold. Uh, Right now, they're 0 for 3 enticing us to do so. Uh, Part of it is because I, I felt dirty knowing that another White Sox podcast that was out there in the podcast sphere was going to get uh, jettisoned by them to make room for us. But also because of the fact that I just like our independence.
1: We answer to nobody, damn it.
0: No, we answer to nobody, Ed.
1: And nobody answers us either.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like our local advertisers. I, I I like the fact that we're able to just kind of freely talk about whatever we talk about. I like having no pressure from anybody. I like the fact that fans find us organically. And that's the reason why we'll have several hundred thousand downloads in 2021. And it's all because of you folks. And I appreciate the fact that you listen and allow us to keep our independence where we don't have to rely on that kind of thing. Absolutely. Anyway, I was looking back at the numbers. I found like all the best shows like of previous years, because I was trying to do some comparisons. And I noticed that the number one show of 2019 was when Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez signed in the off season with the Chicago White Sox. And I was thinking about that show this week, while kind of perusing fan thoughts on social media channels about Dallas Keuchel and thinking about my own feelings on Dallas Keuchel, especially heading towards the postseason. Because this has not been one of his best years. Would you agree on that? It definitely
1: has not been one of his best years. He's Even when he signed with the White Sox, he was not going to be Cy Young Dallas Keuchel. I, I, I never thought that that was going to be the case. But it's it's been... He, he has not been the guy that I thought he was going to be in terms of just getting them deep into games and keeping them competitive. And yeah, it just feels like a down year. And, and I don't know the stats in front of me to look him up and, and to tell you if it's a down year, but it's just the eyeball test. He's not passing it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is a, a fair assessment. Dallas Keuchel for his career, he's pretty much doing a little bit worse than what his career numbers are. I've always said that a guy that puts on, uh, that walks and hits per innings pitch, the whip, if you're a starter and you're below 1.30, I find you to be an effective starter. When you start to get above that into the 1.3s, you start to become shaky. And once you get to the 1.4s, I don't have any time yeah, for that's you. Yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, I have no time for you when you get to that. Dallas Keuchel right now on the season sitting at a 1.33. So not terrible. But if you look at what he's doing, his fielding independent pitching is 5.29. That means his ERA should actually be higher than the 4.48 right. that he's getting. And his whip is above the 1.30, and that is that is not a great year for Dallas Keuchel. Now, that said, I after thinking about this show and I went back and listened to it, I was curious, what did I think back then? Now, this is you know almost two years ago. What did I think about Dallas Keuchel back then? And what I said, I think I, I still feel the same way. Dallas Keuchel is a veteran starting pitcher, capable of, of pitching in playoff games. His best years are likely behind him. And is going to add that veteran presence to your your rotation. And while at the time, he and Giolito, in my mind, were your one-two punch at the top of your rotation, I said, the best case scenario is that he becomes a back end of the rotation guy in a couple of years, because that means you found other talent. And that's not a slight on him, but also, you can't rely on him to be top end talent. And you can't think about what he was, you know, years ago, because that's not what he's going to be here down the stretch. And I, I still feel that way. In fact, I would make the argument that even though my gut reaction has been don't let Dallas Keichel take the mound as a starter in the postseason, that if we did a little bit of a deeper dive, I don't know how sure I am of it. So I'm wondering if you'll, you'll follow me down this path for at least a little bit of the show today, trying to figure out who, who really are the three and four starters in the postseason if everybody's healthy, assuming, of course, that Lynn and Rodon are up at the top. Who are the back two guys, the three and the four for games three and four in a series? And and I and I just kind of, you know, because I've seen a lot of debate now. Giolito, Cease, Keuchel. Yeah. And there are people that get upset whenever you mention their guy and say, that's not the guy. So I figured we'd take right. a look at right. it today.
1: Because everybody has their horse. I mean, people are treating this like it's a day at the track. And, you know, I'm going to bet on my guy. I, you know, I, I think what's interesting is I think there are people who are very much with you on the veteran presence. I think there are people who look at things like Dylan Cease's stuff. And then I think there are people that are in kind of a sort of a dream fugue state where they're pulling names up from other areas of the White Sox staff that they think are going to step in in the playoffs, even though they haven't been in the role all season long. So where do you take it? Where's
0: your, who's your top guy? First of all, I'm surprised that people think that Lucas Giolito is not going to be one of the top four starters. And I've seen it. I don't I don't get those fans. I don't understand it. The guy is a 1.13 whip. He's provided the best wins above replacement according to baseball reference than all three of the guys that we're talking about, between Cease Keichel and Lucas Giolito. He might be nine and nine. He he might have his ERA sitting at 3.83. Uh, he he might not be the dominant starter that you hoped and wished that he would be, but he is still a very effective starter. And somebody that I expect, especially with playoff experience now from last year, I expect him to be really the third guy. And Tony La Russa might just say, look, I got to pitch all three of these top three guys in there, and I like this matchup better. And he might pitch in the two spot. You you have no idea how La Russa will set it up once he knows when he's on the road, when he's at home, what he likes, what he doesn't like when he's in it. it, it you know, But he's definitely, in my mind, he shouldn't even be in the conversation. Another reason why he shouldn't be in the conversation, though, is when I take a deep dive into a stat uh, that I I found called win probability added by the pitcher, the WPA. You can find this on Baseball Reference. And what I would suggest you do is you go to the pitching game logs of these pitchers, and you can see all these stats game by game. And as you look at that column and you look at all three guys, it is very rare that Lucas Giolito puts a negative effect on a game. By gathering all the stats, it it happens – but it doesn't happen as often as many may think it does that an average team would normally be able to overcome a run that he lets in that, that major league baseball across the board. He doesn't put his team in a position to lose as often as he puts a team in position to win. He's far more consistently putting his team in a position to win when he goes out and takes the mound. And he seems to be the only one of the three that's capable of going deep into a game right now. Cause I don't trust cease late in the game. And I definitely don't trust Keiko late in the game. Now, I know when we get to the postseason, we shorten everything because we have this great bullpen at the back. But it's not a bad thing if your pitcher gets on a roll and you don't even need to go to that bullpen right away. So, I mean, unless you have an objection, I want to close the book on him right now in this discussion and make this a two-man conversation between Keiko and Cease. And I don't get the people that are saying I don't trust Giolito in the postseason. I think you're just wrong.
1: I understand them from the standpoint that Lucas Giolito can be a little volatile in terms of what you're getting from him on a game-to-game basis. Or at least that's the feeling that you get sometimes you watch him go out and he's dominant or you watch him go out and he can get lit up. But that's you know that's a strikeout pitcher for you where you're going to you're not every high strikeout guy is going to be, you know, the Cy Young level constantly dominant guy. They, they're going to give up some hits, okay? You rely on a fastball and a change-up combo, a guy's going to guess right on you every now and again. But I agree with you that Giolito, there's no real question that Lucas Giolito is getting a start, even in a short series in the playoffs, because Dylan Cease is essentially a rookie, and Dallas Keuchel is not what people think he is, and he was not... He's not the Dallas Keigel that he was last year either, and that was not the Dallas Keigel that he had been for a couple of years. So, yeah, slam the door, close the book, and other, you know, cliches as well about Lucas Giolito. The guy is starting the second or third game of a series for sure.
0: Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt Work Clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, let's take a look at these other two guys and Ceasing Keiko. all right? And then I want to get yeah. into some really interesting stuff. Yasmani Grandal is coming back. Uh, very soon. That's indicated by the fact that on Tuesday he gets promoted up the AAA. Zach Collins, your time is numbered. I don't see any reason why you would still be on this team. Uh, tick, I, tick, yeah, tick, tick. I just don't see how it's happening for you. And and Zebby Zavala has just been incredible for the White Sox. What a great discovery here down the stretch. And we're also going to go into how he's helping the pitchers because we're going to talk about pitch tipping and the fact that not only has one pitcher recently realized that he's getting his, his pitches picked up and it's affected him, but if you go back a couple of weeks ago, Zebby noticed it with somebody else and fixed another high-end relief pitcher in that bullpen. But before we get to that stuff, let's take a look at Keiko and let's take a look at Cease. I, I want to look at that, that stat one more time. I'm not going to get into it too much, but these guys are really back and forth in terms of If they put their team in a better position to win or a better position to lose, their win probability is up and down a negative, a positive, a negative, a positive. They they both of them are inconsistent. So if you can't find that, then you have to sit there and start looking at some of these other things that people have been talking about. Dylan Cease, like one of the big knocks is Dylan Cease is no good against good teams. But on the other hand, I would make the contention that Dylan Cease's spin rate just plummeted after major league baseball started that crackdown as it did for most pitchers, but now is back up because turns out sweat and rosin still works. And it's very hard to prove you were using it illegally, which is why you're starting to see spin rates come back because the guys were relying on the other stuff now are with that, that, that substance. I would imagine. I don't know. I can only guess, but when you see the chart, it's really funny. It's like really high spin rates, really high spin rates, completely bottoms out back up again. And you know they're checking his glove all the time, so what is he doing? Suddenly Garrett Cole
1: is throwing really hard again and Corbin Burns <laughs> is right. looking like, really really great again and Tyler Molly came back from looking like he used to years ago into being, you know, dominating teams and Dylan Cease kind of stayed he didn't he didn't have the drop off that I think those other guys had necessarily. But I also do think that Dylan Cease is still learning how to pitch. You know, I just listed off three guys who have had at least Three four years of starting in the majors, Dylan Cease. I I know he's been up. He was up last year and he was up the year before. I know technically he's not a rookie. This is really his first season as a major league starter. Correct. So I'm I call him a rookie, and and you got to learn how to do this stuff.
0: Now Cease head to head. If if that's the case, if it's because of the spin rate, and it wasn't because of the competition as much as it was spin rate. If that's the case, and that's a big if. On the season, just comparing these guys with raw numbers, Cease is worth double in baseball references B-War, wins above replacement, than Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Dylan Cease is also well within my range for a pitcher in terms of his whip with a 1.25 on the season. So if I look at raw numbers between these two guys on the season, Dylan Cease is the better pitcher. Dylan Cease's ERA is a, is is right at a four, while Keuchel's at a 4.48. There, there, every stat, there's a little slight advantage statistically for Cease. And if we're not seeing a difference in terms of what the two of them bring to their team, where depending on the game, the way the breeze is blowing, either they're giving a positive or negative impact to the win probability of their team based upon the statistics and their games game by game. The real question now comes down to, does the younger pitcher with no postseason experience as a starter, go out there and start a game four of a series, which would be in your, in the pennant or the world series. Would you rather see that guy? If everything stays the same, or would you rather go with the veteran who has the experience, but is behind in all these different categories, not massively behind, but behind. So what do you put your stock into? Well, Here's where I think
1: you, you have the breakdown, okay? So you're looking at their whip. You're looking at this WPA. We're talking about Dylan Cease's spin rate. I think we can agree that at this point, from a pure stuff standpoint, if you were just to, in practice, measure the movement, the spin rate, the ability that Dylan Sees has on the mound, that his stuff is more impressive than what Dallas Keuchel is running out there 10 years into his major league career at age 33, almost 34 years old. What I'm seeing is as you look at the game log for Dylan Cease, you're looking at a guy who started bad this year. He was in April pretty rough. I mean, you know, he's going four and two-thirds, three and a third. He's got one good start in April against the, the the Tigers, which you and I could go out right now and have a good start against the Tigers, and I can barely throw a ball at this point.
0: I might be able to take the Tigers down.
1: Yeah. My shoulder hurts sitting here, and all I'm doing is drinking. Um, <laughs> you know, but as you as you turn the page and you get into June, he starts throwing deeper into games. He's got a couple of hiccups. And then he's he's been very consistent going five, six innings, right? And it really comes sort of later on in the season. And his ERA had ballooned for a bit, and then it got up there, and now it's coming right back down. So he's riding this rookie wave. Bad start, good run. Yeah, not so great run, picking it back up. You don't expect that from Dallas Keuchel. And the thing that has me the most worried about Dallas Keuchel, as we are sitting here talking about him, is none of the stats that you have mentioned. It is a stat that really bugs me compared to the rest of his career, which is his strikeouts versus walks. Almost every year, he has been around at least a 2.3, if not higher, in terms of the amount of strikeouts versus the amount of walks he's given up. This year, he's at 1.8. His walks per nine innings, 3.0, highest that he's had since he had that partial season with Atlanta where he signed in the middle of the year, higher than most of the seasons he had with, with the Astros when he was really, really good. Most importantly, the man's got 44 walks on the year right now. He has gone entire seasons with 47 walks, 39 walks, 48 walks. The dude is putting guys on base. He doesn't have the same command that he used to have. He's giving up home runs. That tells me that Dallas Keuchel, it's not a situation where Dallas Keuchel is simply not putting up the same velocity, not putting up the same stuff. He's actually having a hard time pitching. And he's been doing this for 10 years. So do I... Sit there in the back of my mind and go. I would rather take the wild card of Dylan Cease, who's got really good stuff. Settle down with a veteran catcher like Yasmani Grandal, or a very good game caller like Sebi Zavala, who has proven himself. Although he seems to have a little trouble catching Cease balls pop out of his middle a little bit with Dylan on the mound. But with Yasmani Grandal, who is a great pitch framer, who is a terrific game caller, who is one of the best catchers in the major leagues. And perhaps a short leash with somebody like Michael Kopek backing him up, or even and this this I just got heartburned when his name popped in my head, Ronaldo Lopez, backing up Cease. <laughs> you know, the idea that Dylan Cease would go out there for a game four and have a short leash and say, Okay, do your best, and we expect you to go four to five innings. If you give us six, holy smokes, that's wonderful. Versus sitting there saying, I, you know, if Dallas Keuchel goes four innings, that's a major disappointment for a former Cy Young winner. And, and a guy who is, again, he's already eclipsed his career high in home runs given up for a season, any season that he's had in the majors. And he is going to easily surpass the most walks he's given up, which was only 58. That's his, that's his all-time season. Now, he's at 44. He's got, you know, what, at least eight starts left he should be able to to possibly blow past that. And his strikeouts are way down too. So this is a guy that I think has, I hate to say it, but I think he's kind of lost a feel for for being a starting pitcher. I think he's he's fading into, he's just an arm.
0: You could make an argument. You can always fall back on what White Sox fans love to do, and I love doing it as well, as look back at 2005 and you had a veteran, all kinds of postseason starts that was a superstar that was getting older in El Duque, Orlando, Hernandez, and he went into the pen and you went with some of your younger guys that were finally pitching above their skis like a John Garland as one of your four guys that was out there starting. Garland, though, much better than what Cease is doing this year. Cease is still a guy who, as you said, is a wild card. Neither one of these guys is going to give you more than five innings in a game. At this point, I mean, like Keiko's last game was good. He was fortunate to get out of trouble and only give up two runs in his team game back. But he he only is able to go about five innings. And then, you know, the team understands. Get him out of there. There's no reason to keep pushing anymore with him. He's just not that guy anymore. What you have right now on this team is you have uh, you have higher-end guys at the front end with your top three. And then you probably have two guys that are really fifth starters in the four and the five spot. And you've got to pick the best one to go with in the postseason right now. Cease's ceiling is higher. He's going to get better. Dallas Keuchel, this is likely what he is. The next month or so, though, is really going to be it, right? The next six and a half weeks, next seven weeks, that's it, right? You're going to look at that now. Like if I were if I were doing anything, if I was running my fantasy baseball team, getting ready for the postseason right now, I'd look at the overall stats and then I'd say, okay, what have they done in the last month or so? Is one of them much hotter than the other one? Did the other guys start to wear down? That might be the key to the whole decision for the White Sox. I think the jury is still out, but I think it's a reasonable thing. Right now, you're weighing experience in the postseason Versus the guy that across most metrics is simply better, but is younger and is not better by a massive margin. It'll be very interesting to see. I am on my way out to Cork and Kerry at the park Thursday afternoon. I think I'm going to bring some socks in the basement, hats, some koozies, some stuff to give away. My father and I are going along with my uncle, who's also my godfather, my uncle Jim, who is an avid listener of the show and has been begging to come on the show, and he's going to be in town for the weekend, so who knows? He, he, might, he might talk me into it. They're very excited about going out. We do, this, we do this once a year because he doesn't live in Chicago anymore, and so you know, Uncle Jim's coming in, and he goes, where do we want to meet? I'm like, Corden Carey at the park. He goes, why? I go, really good food, award-winning burgers. Uh, there's no real line. You're going to get your food right away. It's not like the ballpark. I got a full bar. I got craft beers on tap. I got TVs all over the place. I got open air for the nice weather. You know, I've got all those big doors opening up. I got I got seats out on the, on the sidewalk for you. You know, they've got they've got indoor outdoor seating. I've got I've got everything for you, and it's in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. And then we walk over there. And when we leave the game, and there's a massive traffic jam, we can go back over there as well because we're gonna have a day of it. It's a day game. I mean, we're gonna start at Cork and Carry. We're gonna end at Cork and Carry. We might head over to Cork and Carry Beverly. My father told me afterwards because those guys used to drink in that bar when they were in their twenties. So, like, this might be a full Cork and Carry day going from the bar. It's park. a drink down memory lane. Oh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an absolute drink down memory lane. A- absolutely, all right. With these two guys, I got the two I got the two guys in their seventies, and I'm the kid, and we're going out to a ball game to to go see the White Sox versus the A's. If you're gonna be down at the ballpark. Stop around on Thursday. You might see me. I might have some swag for you. I'm giving it away. And uh, and and get over to Cork and Carry at the Park. If you if you haven't gone and experienced it yet, I always get compliments, people sending me messages through social media channels, uh, dropping into my DMs, as Lizzo would put it, and telling me what a great experience they had. And they checked it out for the first time because they heard about it in this show. Cork and Carry at the Park, the corner of 33rd and Princeton. Find out more, at CorkandCarryAtThePark.com. Let's get to something I know you want to talk about, and it's Liam Hendricks. And as we lead into this, Liam Hendricks on Monday night, first game of the series against the A's in the post-game interview, mentions that his heater, fastball of course, his heater yeah. was being tipped during the Yankees series. They figured out that he was tipping his pitches, which explains the Thursday night, ninth inning by him because you get two big fastball hitters that put park two, two run home runs out there with two outs. And all of a sudden you need Tim Anderson to create magic for you. And then he struggled all weekend long. And he also said in that, in that post game, if you, if you missed it or you didn't catch everything that he said that it affected his pitch selection and he was throwing the slider at times that he wouldn't normally throw the slider because he was becoming aware. They knew the fastball was coming. Now on top of that, Sebi Zavala and Tony LaRusso, but it was Zavala, if I if I remember first. Zavala brought it up after a Kopek appearance. He had a couple of bad appearances, like right in a row in one week. And we were all wondering what was going on with him. And Zavala said, I gotta look at the tape because I think he's I think there might be a pitch that he's tipping. And then Larusa brought it up later in another interview at a, at a later time, maybe even the next day. And Zavala seems to have noticed that, and the White Sox fixed that as well because he's back to his dominance. And it's very obvious that Michael Kopech is part of a threesome at the back end now. Tony La has just crushed any idea that Kopech is going into the starting rotation. But what they're doing, recognizing the pitch tipping and fixing it and how they're on top of it so quickly is very impressive to me. What are you noticing with Liam? Well, that was the thing is
1: is that I was looking at it because I'm trying to figure out somebody had posited out there and a few people I think had done this where they said, well, it, it, it seems like Liam Hendricks when the chips are down, he becomes one of those guys that just wants to throw it harder, right? So he's trying to throw it harder and straighter not necessarily straighter, but he's, he's trying to just rear back and blow guys away, and I didn't think that that's what was going on. I, it looked like he was having a little trouble corralling the slider because I'm watching Zavala, you know, have to dive to his right like he's trying to, you know, save a goal in soccer. But I also was looking to see, like, well, is, this, is it really just a thing where this guy has a problem inherently with fastball hitters, right? And, and that's the guys that he's not – doing well against
0: that was my thought after what happened on the Thursday night game in the field of dreams game and and then the whole weekend with with just the way to judge like hits fastballs something Yohan Moncada cannot do the stats are disgusting we'll talk about it on another show but right down the middle the guy can't even hit a fastball these days but anyway
1: but I mean that's that's a that's a situation where um I I think that it was a little bit overblown in terms of Aaron Judge just barreling that thing up and having it because it it, it just looked like Liam was off, right? So I was looking to see, too, is this guy have a problem with elite home run hitters? Because maybe that's an issue. So here are the three guys that are basically the top hitters against him uh, that are still
0: active. All right, let's hear it. The three guys that kill Liam Hendricks the most. All right.
1: Sal Perez has an OPS of 2.00 all-time against Liam Hendricks. Okay. Next up on the list, there's a bunch of retired folks, and then there's Alex Bregman, who's got a 1.455 against him. Trey Mancini's got a 1.357, and then you get down to Mookie Betts, 1.245. But what's curious about it was I was looking to see, you know, how those guys do. Is are they strictly fastball hitters? Or are they strictly breaking ball hitters? And it's really a little bit of both, right? Because Sal, historically a much better base, a much better fastball hitter, uh, this year actually better slugging percentage against breaking balls. So, you know, that's why he just can't win against, you know, Hendricks can't win against him. But the other guys, strictly fastball guys. So all that was telling me was that there wasn't an issue with Liam Hendricks not being able to get those guys out for any other reason than one, he either didn't have a feel for the slider or two, there was something about it that he felt like he couldn't throw it into them or couldn't spot his fastball properly. So it's not something I think we need to be worried about long-term because it's not something where you get somebody like Aaron Judge that's just going to light him up every time. He really has one guy in his history that has just absolutely destroyed him, and it's Sal Perez. And just, you know, we're not going to see him in the playoffs. We're really, you know, just going to see him, what, a couple more times for the rest of the season? But when he's on, and I think when Liam is on with that slider, more often than not, even the guys with the high OPS is against him he's going to be able to keep him off balance for the most part. Betts is probably the biggest guy that we would have to worry about in terms of having had success against Hendricks because they could see him in the World Series, and Mookie Betts, if he's healthy, can kind of just hit anything, anytime, whenever he wants to do. Frankly, that man can
0: get away with. Right. So essentially what you're telling me is that the tipping pitches thing actually makes an awful lot of sense because – if he's not throwing things at the right time, it completely throws off everything he's doing. And also there is no pattern that a type of hitter that really hurts him more than another hitter. It's just good hitters do well and bad hitters do worse, just like it would across the board against anybody else. And, and you know, here's the problem too much worry right now because we're all waiting for something bad to happen. It's in the nature of white Sox fans to wait for something bad to happen. Like, I'm waiting for something bad to happen. I'm very concerned about the fact we're two games back in the loss column for being at home during the first series of the postseason. I don't want that. I don't want to face the Astros on the road. I don't trust them. I'm sure they'll have another way to figure out everything that we're throwing. I I just, I, I, I want to be at home where it's harder for them to pull games. So, like, I want to see a few more wins. The good news is, I think a lot of the fear over the last week concerning Liam Hendricks... That can be put to rest a little bit. There there isn't a real clear indication that this is something that is anything more than an anomaly. On the other hand, you want Mankata? That could be the entire show coming up on Saturday.
1: Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement.